SaaS people to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution courtesy of Sascribe Media. I'm your host, Alex Humer, and uh, really uh, pleased to be joined today by the CEO of uh, Lighter Capital, uh, BJ Lackland. Welcome, BJ. Thanks, Alex. I'm uh, pleased to be on. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on, and uh, congratulations on your, your recent round of funding. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yes, always an important thing to close the funding. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, BJ, uh, you know, Lighter Capital, uh, you know, I, I've heard of you, but, you know, sometimes I live in a bubble where I think, you know, everybody knows what, uh, what, what I know, uh, uh, but um, that's not always the case. So can you, you know, briefly uh, sort of, you know, introduce yourself, tell us who Lighter Capital is, you know, what you do, where you're based? Yeah, absolutely. So we're based in Seattle, Washington, um, the U.S., um, and uh, Lighter Capital was really formed to provide a different way or a better way for entrepreneurs to access growth capital. Um, and by better, we mean that in two different fashions. One is that we use technology to make the funding process easier on entrepreneurs. So instead of spending weeks and months chasing after uh, equity investors and things like that, they can kind of go to the web and access capital that way. Mm -hmm. um, the second way we mean uh, easier or better is to structure the, the investments from our, from our side of things, or the, the growth capital, in a way that's better for entrepreneurs and better for investors. And so we, we use a particular form of funding called a revenue loan. It's essentially a royalty agreement between lighter capital and the companies that we fund. Um, but it's a way that's a little bit better than equity and better than debt, or we sort of say the best aspects of each one. Um, and those are basically... Uh, the debt is not dilutive, and so our financing is not dilutive to the entrepreneur's ownership um, and not controlling, as well as the fact that though we align our interests with the entrepreneur, much like equity does. So the better the company does, and the, the faster they grow, um, the better both is healthier for the company as well as it's good for lighter capital because our return on investment effectively goes up in that situation. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thanks for that. And now, uh, you know, for, for today's episode... Um, I wanted to talk about uh, you know funding options for SaaS startups. Is I'm, I'm uh, pretty hopeful that you're a, a, a good guy to uh, to answer the questions uh, <laughs> on this based on uh, on what you do. So you 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 happy to go uh, with that? That sounds great. Yeah, we've uh, we've funded just about we've done about 120 deals uh, now, and out of those. Very roughly about 57% of the companies we funded are pure SaaS, mm -hmm. and another 23% are a mixture of software and services, but the software is really predominantly SaaS, um, so sort of SaaS and some accompanying services. So yeah, we're, we're, we're very much in the, in the in sort of targeting very much funding SaaS companies, so, so hopefully we know a little bit about what we're talking about. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. So it sounds like it's a good fit. But So, so uh, in terms of the format, you know, what, what we'll do is, you know, have a look at some of the options for, for SaaS startups. I don't think, you know, we'll have time to cover them all. Um, so some are excluded and, uh, you know, apologies for that. But we'll have a look at some of the, you know, the most popular ones. Um, uh, and I guess we'll go through, you know, some of the pros and I'll ask you some of the cons as well. Uh, and maybe, you know, if we can think of examples as well uh, on, on each one, um, you know, that will be great. Um, uh, I guess kind of before we go into the options, you know, so, you know, funding, um, obviously, you know, it's a very important thing. Uh, very important decision for you know any founder to make. You know what what do they need to do you know before deciding to go down a particular funding route? Yeah, I think I always think the best thing to do when you start going and looking for funding is really think as much as possible about what you want the end 
uh, goal to be for your business. If you're an entrepreneur that wants to you know, run the business forever for the next 10 years plus or something like that, then you should really think carefully about whether you want to take on equity investors because eventually equity investors, you know, they make a return when you have a liquidity event, when you sell the business. So you don't want to bring in partners that want you to sell if you want to maintain um, control and ownership and maintain running the business for a long period of time, uh, as an example. So uh, I always counsel the first thing is sort of get clear with you and your partners or co-founders, you know, what's really the vision of what you want to do with the business, um, both in terms of growth and serving customers and all those sorts of good things, but also just more on the personal side. Do you want to run it forever or do you want to build it up and sell it in three years or whatever that goal is? And then that will really guide you towards certain types of financing choices because whenever you bring in a financing partner, whether it's somebody like a lighter capital or an angel investor or a VC or even a bank, um, you know, it's a, it's a mutual commitment of, of time and money, and, um, and and there are decisions that are very hard to change once you've once you've committed in, in a particular direction. So you just want to be really careful that you align sort of the investor set um, with what your ultimate goals are. Okay, good good advice there. So so let, let's jump into um, you know the funding options, and I want to start with self funding, um, or you, you know I guess we can call it bootstrapping as well. Yeah. Although sometimes bootstrapping has you know different definitions, but um, but let, let, let's go with self funding. So you, and, and actually, I think I, I read sort of um, uh, the other day. Uh, I think it was like thirty five percent of the the companies in the Inc. five hundred. Um, uh, were bootstrapped, um, so uh, oh. and that was the SaaS companies were bootstrapped. So it was interesting because I think that was, I don't know, a little higher than I expected, but I, I, I don't know why. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, what, what are the pros for self-funding uh, a SaaS startup, in your opinion? Yeah, um, and well, and a quick point of reference: about about forty-five percent of the companies we fund are we call bootstrapped. But for mm-hmm. us, and you're correct. There are many different different definitions of bootstrap. For us, bootstrap includes um, sort of founder-funded and and a little bit of uh, family money or something like that put in. We consider that also basically bootstrapped. Um, and that's about 45% of the companies we fund. So I think some of the biggest advantages of going that route is really maintaining control of your business um, so that you always have all your options open. I mean, kind of like I alluded to earlier, when you're making decisions about what direction you want to go, Funding it yourself or with your, your family or close friends, um, you know, leaves a lot of your options open for what you want to do in the future. So that's certainly one advantage. The second advantage we see with a lot of bootstrap businesses is they have incredible discipline around um, how they spend money and around their metrics for acquiring customers. Like they've got really good metrics a lot of times for customer acquisition costs, the lifetime value of the customer, how they optimize customer success so they reduce their churn, things like that, they tend to often have buttoned down really, really well. And some of the best run businesses that we see are, are bootstrapped um, up to you know, seven million in revenue. Uh-huh. Um, so that's, that's one of the great advantages. And I think that one of the major ways, besides maybe putting in some of their own money, one of the major ways we see these bootstrapped companies um, survive and thrive is getting annual prepayments from customers. And sometimes, um, especially in the SaaS arena, sometimes they can get longer than just even one year. We'll, we see um, three-year prepays sometimes uh, as well. But um, getting those prepayments can often help a, a SaaS business grow pretty quickly and um, I, I'm all in favor of really looking at discounts for annual payments mm-hmm. as uh, kind of like a cost of capital essentially. So if your customers are going to prepay you um, for a year and you're going to give them a 20% discount 
for that? Well, you sort of have to think about, okay, well, would I be willing to take out a loan or something like that for that amount um, to go fund my business? Um, and, and it also kind of helps lock in the customers. So lots of advantages to, to bootstrapping if you can do it. It's also, it's also a stressful life, certainly, mm -hmm. because you often have very little room for, for error um, in things. So having, having close employees, close partners, and things like that that you know, occasionally can go without a paycheck or something like that really can help a lot if you're, if you're bootstrapping. Okay, awesome. And and so I guess you alluded to, you know, one of the cons there, you know, <laughs> being a slightly sort of more stressful life. Um, uh, uh, you, you know, any others that you would uh, add to that mix? Uh, on the cons? Um, yeah, I think it's supposed to be a stressful life. It's, and it's, it's also just not being able to jump at opportunities as quickly as you'd like. That's mm. one of the biggest um, reasons we see a lot of bootstrappers come to us for funding is because they've realized that as, you know, when they're bootstrapping, there's only so much they can go after. You know, you're, gonna, you're basically going to live off what you can kill in terms of um, getting money from customers. You know, it's really hard to go hire three new salespeople because you see a cool opportunity in some new vertical or something like that where you can sell your product in. Or it's hard to hire three new developers to go and, you know, develop a whole feature set that your biggest customer really wants. Um, I think that's the biggest problem for bootstrappers is sometimes... Uh, you can't jump at those opportunities that arise um, very quickly. You just have very little flexibility to do that. Um, and so, um, you know, often it's that's when we'll see, uh, like I said, entrepreneurs either come to us for funding or I think when they go out and they find angels for funding or, or VCs potentially as well. And do you think, I mean, sort of bootstrappers, I think, you know, perhaps are a little bit unheralded in terms of the, not always, you know, household names, but, uh, you know, can you think of any, you know, examples of, uh, you know, well-known self-funded bootstrapped uh, SaaS companies? Um, <laughs> there are a couple that come to mind now. They, they were companies that we funded and I know them well. So ultimately they ended up not being. So they're well-known they're well, they're well to you then? Well known to, to us, exactly. Um, so one um, is is a company that um, we first funded about three years ago, but before that, it was one hundred percent bootstrapped. Mm -hmm. um, a company called Cloud Built, mm -hmm. spelled B I L T. Mm -hmm. uh, they actually just changed their name to Map Anything, and they were. Um, you mentioned companies on the Inc. Uh, five hundred. Mm -hmm. They were um, number two hundred seventy three, if I remember correctly, on the Inc. five hundred last year. Um, and besides getting about a million dollars from us, um, they were 100% bootstrapped, and they were 100% bootstrapped for a lot of their life. Um, they developed some of their core products and offerings um, out of being a services business, um, so they did a lot of implementations and software development. Um, in their situation, it was all sort of around the Salesforce platform, and that services business paid for the development of some of their early products. Um, Entrepreneur also stuck in some of his own money a bit, but really, they were totally bootstrapped. Um, now, in that situation, I think they might be better known in part because they, they made the Inc. 500. Also, in part, they just closed then their first VC round of funding, um, a Series A. But it was after the company had been in business for a long time, and they, they ended up getting great terms. And so in some ways, they've, they've done a lot of different um, funding throughout their life. But really, the main theme for a long time was really bootstrapping it. Then we provided them some funding, and then um, and then they just closed their Series A, and they're frankly at a growth stage where a lot of companies would be closing a Series C. Mm. Um, so it's really a first dilution for the for the two co-founders. Um, uh, so that that's that's probably one that, that's that's better known. Another one um, that we funded much earlier on and was totally bootstrapped again. Sim actually, similar story really um, was a company called Steel Brick. 
um, steel brick was founded by a guy named Max Rudman. And Max had totally bootstrapped it, done a services, um, uh, offered services and lived off that. And then he started developing this configure price quote um, offering, also actually on Salesforce. And um, and we were the first first outside money to to fund Steelbrick some, and we provide them relatively little amount of capital. Um, Max then went out and and brought in some some bigger partners. They ended up raising um, a ton of VC, and now there are rumors that they're going to be acquired by Salesforce for about six hundred million dollars. Oh wow! The rum- rumors that were actually published on the internet, so they must be true. <laughs> they must be true. It must be true. I think yeah. you know. I'll 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 just add to that. Um, uh, I think you know some of the the household bootstrappers that that I'm aware of for uh, companies like uh, Atlassian, Qualtrics, and Ring yeah. Sen- and Ring Central. They bootstrap to scale, but then you, you know they they've taken VC money you know uh, at a later stage to you know add fuel to the fire. Um, yeah. And um, I, I you, you know I guess kind of on that you you know given the capital investment needed to scale. You know, SaaS companies, uh, and you know, to have the necessary funds to reinvest in marketing, you know, sales, customer success programs, really to you know fuel this acquisition engine. Do we think? Uh, I guess in a, a kind of short answer that you know, uh, bootstrapping is truly viable for for SaaS companies if they want to get you know big. Yeah, I think all depends on what you what you mean by big. I suppose, <laughs> uh, but I, I think. Like you said earlier, it's very, very difficult to become a household name purely on bootstrapping. It's just hard to get, like you said, it's hard to get that marketing push um, and such to really get to really, really large, really, really large. Meaning, you know, when you're at that sort of scale stage where you're going from, you know, 10, 20 million sales up to 100 million sales, it's really difficult to do that in a bootstrap way. So when when we think about bootstrap companies, we mostly think of bootstrapped up to several million dollars in sales, which... Listen, getting getting from zero to several million in sales bootstrapped mm-hmm. is an astounding accomplishment, um, and, and 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 truly, especially in a in SaaS environment where your you know your valuations are really high and it's it's difficult to do all that development and then go sell it um, with without outside capital. It's it's a great accomplishment. It's totally doable. Um, and like I said, about forty five percent of the companies we fund are are bootstrapped, and and um, our our av- the average company we fund. Is that about one and a half million in sales? Um, so, you know, looking at those averages, that means we're running into a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, roughly half the ones we back that have gotten up to about a million and a half in sales purely bootstrapped. And so, so I, I agree. I think it's really hard to become a true household name being purely bootstrapped. But you, if you can get yourself up to several million in sales um, bootstrapped, you've you've really created an incredible amount of value. And when you bring in outside capital, number one, you're going to have tons of choices, whether it's lighter capital or a bank or equity money from angels or VCs. You're going to have a lot of different options and be able to choose um, you know, your terms and your, and your priorities at that point in time um, in a way that, that entrepreneurs that start raising equity much earlier, you know, they can't. They have a really difficult time kind of turning off that tap of raising, raising money a lot of times. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, so let's move on to crowdfunding, and this is, I guess, well, I'd say relatively new, but you know, uh, over the last few years, crowdfunding has emerged, uh, you know, as perhaps a, a, you know a popular method for not only funding SaaS companies but uh, you know other startups as well. But uh, focusing on SaaS as we do, um, you know, what are the uh, the pros for crowdfunding a SaaS startup, in your opinion? Yeah, and, and by crowdfunding, you mean equity crowdfunding, I assume, right? Yeah, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not reward based. Yeah. Yeah, I think the advantage of doing equity card, like like AngelList type of stuff, 
is that it's um, it can be relatively easy to access capital. You don't need to go and run around and do a whole bunch of coffee meetings and networking and things like that to go chase down a bunch of angel investors. Now, you do have to have um, you know some outstanding metrics, and you have to figure out a way to make yourself stand out versus everybody else that's um, you know posted onto AngelList or one of these other sites doing crowdfunding. But it can be a relatively easy way to to access capital in that regard, right? You can kind of sit at home, put up information on the web, and hopefully people are um, you know willing to to close and and fund you based on the information you put up there. Mm-hmm. I think that's really the biggest advantage. Okay, and and cons of uh, crowdfunding? Have you come across any? Yeah, the cons are, um, it sounds kind of strange. They're almost the inverse of the, of the pros. You don't know your investors as much, so you now have given ownership to somebody that you don't know as well. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily, you don't get to vet them as much as, as, um, as you would if you actually went around and sort of raised money the old-fashioned way a little bit. Um, also, a lot of times in crowdfunding, you end up with a lot of different people on your cap table, and, and sometimes it, that can be difficult. Um, yeah, I think it's really good and it can be healthy to have some diversity of investors so that you can always go back to those people and, and hopefully get more money from them. Um, however, there's there's sort of an optimal level of, of number of investors. If you get too many, you're going to end up spending a lot of your life doing investor relations and um, because you know, these people are giving you money and whether it's $5,000 or $10,000 or $100,000, you know, they believe they're, they're owed their time and, and to get their audience basically. And um, and it's hard to say no to that. I mean, it, you know, it's sort of true. They've they've given you money. Uh, you need to return their phone calls, basically. Um, if you've got you know fifty of those, it could be a, a time-consuming affair. Um, so that's really, I think, the biggest the biggest downside. Yeah, and and, and I, I guess kind of li- linking on to that. Uh, I mean, I, I've heard because I've never done a crowdfunding campaign, but uh, that it can take an awful long time. Um, you know, yeah. perhaps one month for the campaign itself, but. But up to six months, you know, in preparation, if you're really planning for a, a successful campaign, that is. So, so therefore, you know, given that length of time, you know, do, do we think that this is a viable option for, for SaaS startups? I think, I think it can be. I think you need to be careful because once you start going down that route, you, you need to be pretty committed to it. Like you said, you, you want to plan out your campaign. You really need to look at it as basically a marketing campaign, which in some ways the old-fashioned style of raising money, running around and doing coffee meetings and networking is kind of a big sales campaign where you got a pipeline full of potential uh, investors that you're selling equity to. Um, in some ways, a, a crowdfunding is a little more like a big marketing campaign. You've got to go figure out your big sort of you know selling points. You got to go market it to the right people, and you've got to be able to sort of draw them in. Um, and so it's a it's a little different process. But once you're sort of committed to a direction with it, I think you really have to kind of follow it through to the end because it's hard to dabble in a lot of those different kinds of things and succeed. You're more likely to succeed if you commit to one direction or the other. Okay, okay. So um, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut angel investors out. (laughs) Apologies, angel investors. So we're moving straight to VC. Um, And, um, you know, what are the pros of taking VC money in, uh, in your opinion? Yeah, the, the biggest pros of taking VC money is that you can get a large amount of money from one investor, right? You've got one and, and, and a professional investor. Mm-hmm. So you've got one investor or two investors or three investors, a limited set of investors that have deep, deep pockets that can cut seven-figure checks probably and, um, and or, or larger, and they can grow up with you. So they can be a funding partner that continues with you. Um, 
and, and to provide that large amount of capital. So getting back to like the conversation we're having about becoming a household name, things like that, it's 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 hard to do that without those bigger slugs of capital coming in. So a, a VC investor really their their biggest thing is really providing those large amount of capital. Now secondarily, um, a lot of the better VCs really can help add value. They can help connect you up to new sales channels. They can keep in, their eyes and ears open about what's going on in the market. They might help you be able to position the company for sale. Some things like that. They may ask, help you access talent. Um, it can certainly be easier to access talent when you've, when you've raised around a financing as opposed to um, when you're bootstrapping and everybody kind of knows you're thin, for example. Um, you know, that can certainly help. So it's, it's really helpful to sort of have that jet fuel um, behind you at, at certain points. Okay. And, and the cons of taking VC money? The, the, con, the cons are, uh, to sort of continue the analogy, I suppose, is that you've now sort of strapped that jet fuel and a rocket to your back um, because now you've really committed to a bunch of professional investors that not only do they own a bunch of your company, and, but they also are most likely going to sit on your board and, and effectively become sort of your, co- you know, your partner in the business and slightly your boss. Um, you kind of strapped a rocket pack to your back and either you're going to shoot to the moon or you're going to blow up halfway. Um, so in some ways, a lot of times when we have a lot of the companies that we fund and they're thinking about going and raising VC money, um, I often counsel them like, listen, you know, make sure you know what you're going to do because if, if you go and raise VC money, it's very difficult to then, you know, only grow at 60, 70, 80%. You really have to shoot for triple digit growth, ideally like 200% or so, and keep that up for a long period of time. And, and if you don't, you're, you're, you know, you're somewhat at risk of losing control of your business. I mean, you're truly bringing in a partner to the business and that has great advantages. It, all, it also has some risks to it. Um, and in general, if you look at VC funding, um, you know, VCs, by the very nature of sort of the metrics of what makes up a VC fund um, and what makes a successful VC fund, VCs, um, you know, swing for the fences. There, mm. There's sort of a, back when I, and I was a VC earlier in my life for about five years, um, and, and, um, and I think VC is a, a truly a great thing. It's one of the things that makes um, the economy hum and makes some great businesses. But, but one of the things to keep in mind when you're an entrepreneur looking for VC funding is that VCs are swinging for the fences. They, they really want to get out of 10 investments. They want to get like two home runs, and that means getting 10x their money. Six, they hope to get their money back and do okay, and they expect they're going to have a couple dogs in there that, that just never run. Yeah. yeah. So, so is it, uh, I guess kind of on that point, you mentioned uh, getting their money back, you know, 10x. Um, you know, I, I've read a lot of stuff where, where you see the sort of positioning of if, if you take VC money, it, it's because, you know, you, you aim to be a billion dollar business or they expect you to be a billion dollar business or, or, or a unicorn. And, and, and that's what you need to be to, you know, take VC money. But do you think that's still true sort of these days? Um, you know? uh, yeah, I don't think you have to. You know, there's so much attention to this unicorn thing mm. and such. I don't think you have to shoot to be a unicorn, and believe me, VCs can make very, very good money, and you can be a very big, big winner in their portfolio, um, and not be a unicorn. Um, so, you know, typically, if you can, if you, depending on how much money you take, if if you take sort of an A round and a B round, maybe a C round, meaning you're going to take somewhere in the realm of, you know, five to maybe thirty million dollars or something like that, maybe more. Um, you know, you just have to be cognizant of the fact that the more money you take, the higher the sale price of the business needs to be to get the investors their return. So if you if you just do, say, an A round for a couple million dollars, and then you build up the business and you sell it for $100 million, 
almost guaranteed those VCs are incredibly happy um, and you've made them an incredibly great return. But if you raise 20 or $30 million and you sell the business for $100 million, my guess is you may have some early investors that are happy, but some of your later investors probably didn't make their target return on that. Um, so every time you raise more and more and more capital from VCs, your threshold from where an acceptable exit will be will get higher and higher and higher. Okay. Okay. Awesome. So now we move on to the uh, on to the last one, and uh, I think this is one that you know uh, a, a lot about: um, uh, revenue-based financing. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, you, you touched on it at the beginning, but let, let, let's sort of remind uh, everyone and even myself. You know, what is revenue-based financing? You know, what stage would a SaaS company apply for it? Yeah. So revenue-based financing, what we do here at Letter Capital. Um, it's essentially a royalty agreement. We fund companies as, as early as um, having about $15,000 a month in revenue, mm-hmm. um, up to you know, a sort of unlimited size. Typically, when they get up to about a million dollars a month in revenue, they, they tend to go for other kinds of funding options and things like that. So we really specialize in about 15000 a month um, in, in MRR, up to about a million or so. Um, and what we do is, like I said, it's a royalty. So we provide a company a sum of money, and we'll do anywhere from as low as $50,000 up to about $2 million. bucks. Um, and we give them a sum of money, say, for ease of math, for about $100,000, let's say we gave them. Mm-hmm. Then they pay us monthly a percentage of their revenue. Mm-hmm. So like I said, it's a royalty agreement. Until they paid us a total amount of money. Um, that total amount of money, if we give them $100,000, that total amount of money might be $150,000 or $200,000, but it's a set amount and we get us paid a set percentage of revenue. And the idea is if the company grows really, really quickly, then we'll get our money back faster and our ROI goes up. If the company grows much more slowly than we expect, then we get paid more slowly and our ROI goes down. And it's, it's set up as a loan, but it's really an incredibly flexible instrument. It's really meant to sort of bridge that gap and fill that hole between equity investors that are looking for 10x on their money and you know banks and other lenders that are looking for a 6% interest rate or 8% interest rate. We're, and and they, they just want to make sure they get paid. They don't really care what happens with the company so long as they get paid. We care a lot about what happens with the companies we fund because um, if we can help them grow more quickly, then our returns go up. Um, if they grow more slowly, then our returns go down, and, and that's kind of the risk we're taking. So okay, and, and what are a, a couple of the key pros then of uh, of revenue-based funding? A couple of key, the the main key pro really two of them essentially. One is it's um, not dilutive, so we don't get any any equity ownership in the business, um, and and aligned with that, the second sort of key pro uh, really is that the entrepreneur stays in control. So we don't take a board seat, we don't vote shares anything like that. We sort of, once we've funded the company, uh, we get paid our percentage of, of, of revenue we're, all, we're along for the ride. Um, I guess the, the sort of third thing about it is it's very flexible. The, the whole idea is when a, when a company gets a lot of revenue, then they make a bigger payment to us. When they don't get a lot of revenue, then they don't make a big payment to us. So the idea is they're never strapped for cash to, to make that, that loan payment to us. Okay, awesome. And, and what are the cons? I mean, all the other uh, options had some cons, so you, you've got to give me yeah. one or two. <laughs> so, yeah, the con, the con really is that as opposed to equity, um, you have to make payments. Mm-hmm. So we're providing a capital, we're providing a, a sum of capital to a company, say on you know, whatever, month one, and then over the next 60 months, you know, they have to pay back that capital. With, with equity, obviously, you don't have to pay it until you have a liquidity event, until the very end. So the, the advantage of lighter capital is it's not dilutive and not controlling and such. The disadvantage is, um, because of that, you, you do have to pay it back month by month. And although it's flexible, 
you're still making payments. And so we give you money, but then we also are getting paid back over time. Um, and that, that's really the biggest disadvantage. Okay, okay. Well, well, uh, I think that's been fantastic. You know, we've gone through all those options. We've, you know, talked about, or, you know, some of the pros, some of the cons. Um, and I, th I think, you know, and I hope it makes for, uh, you know, fasc fascinating and informative uh, listening for the SaaS founders that are listening uh, out there. So, uh, you know, on that note, BJ, I want to say, um, you know, thanks so much for, for joining the show today. Oh, thank you, Alex. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. And uh, listen, I love Sascribe. It's great. We, um, we, we look at it a lot and send it out to a lot of the companies that we fund. We send a lot of articles out to them um, because, you know, it's just great to have a place where you get um, great advice specifically for SaaS businesses. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much for that, BJ. And uh, for listeners at home, you know, if you uh, like this episode of the SaaS Revolution show, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate or review it uh, on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next time.